Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Think with ABD podcast, a podcast about almost anything at intersection of analytics, digital, and design. I'm your host today, Michelle. According to Bloomberg's reports, pandemic-induced burnout is on the rise. Fewer by a combination of confinements, greater family responsibilities, and longer working hours. In a post-COVID-19 world, companies are becoming more precautious in managing budgets, streamlining operations, and eliminating redundancies. So what does it mean to a team lead who is still responsible for innovations? Can our virtual brainstorming section be equally as effective as those in-person ones? In today's podcast, I have invited a good friend of mine, Karine Prodians. Karine Prodians is a managing partner at Faculty of Change, a strategic innovation consultancy in Toronto. Karine has more than a decade of experience working with different companies across financial services, healthcare, and not-for-profit. Welcome, Karine. Hi, thank you so much, Michelle. Well, to kick it off, maybe you can educate us on what Faculty of Change is and what's your role there. Of course, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, Thanks again for having me. So Faculty of Change is a strategic innovation consultancy. And uh, really what that means is between myself and my two business partners, uh, Jared and Dylan, we work to help our clients understand the changes that are happening around them and help them create opportunities out of that change. And so really it's about using our discipline, using our capabilities to help them kind of uncover the root of change or the challenges that changes bring about and turning those into uh, strategic opportunities for, you know, better serving their clients, better serving their constituents, better serving their patients, depending, of course, on the industry. Makes sense. So um, I remember, I guess, in recent months, Faculty of Change had published a series of articles on the topic, like how people can cope with uncertainties. Um, and I know you also have been working with a lot of organizations um, mm-hmm. doing the transaction. So can you describe to us a few key trends you have observed so far? Yeah, absolutely. I think if it's okay, maybe before I do that, mm-hmm. I can speak about sort of the, the discipline that we use to understand uncertainty, if you will. Absolutely. Sure. So we use a discipline called strategic foresight, and we have a lot of you know, experts in that discipline that are working with faculty, that are members of the faculty, of faculty of change. Um, and really what they're doing is taking you know, pieces of information about today's world, whether that's from news articles, whether that's about startups or new products or new services being created, um, you know, things that are happening in society, things that are happening in government, using those pieces of information to bring about what we call signals of change. So those are early signals of change and collectively bring those together to understand what is the big change that might result out of all of these little changes that are happening today. So really that discipline is not about mm, predicting the future so you can be less uncertain. It's more about looking at possible futures that may arise from all these signals so that you can better plan, better prepare for uncertainty. A lot of companies right now are really dealing with a lot of uncertainty, right? Irrespective of whatever industry you're in, there's lots of uncertainty ahead. And and that uncertainty and the path forward is changing kind of almost daily, right? right? And so for us, we thought, okay, maybe this is really an opportunity to shine a spotlight on this discipline that doesn't necessarily get as much airtime in the, in the corporate boardrooms because it is really a unique discipline. So while everyone was sort of responding to the change around them in their respective industries, we thought, let's keep our head 
up and industry agnostic and looking forward to see where we can catch these signals of change. So with some members of our team, we collected, I think, close to 200 different signals. And uh, some of the signals were very kind of retail focused because some of our clients were asking for help in the retail space. And some of them are financial services focused for the same reason. But a lot of it is at a very high level, what might these changes mean as a consumer? What might these changes mean as a citizen? What do you see the biggest challenge for someone who currently maybe internally working as innovation lead? If you don't mind, share your thoughts on that. Yeah, we do work with a lot of in-house innovation leads, like director of innovation at a certain company or whatever the title might be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so that title has always been an interesting challenge for me. I think, you know, innovation in a corporate context is sort of not a, not a deeply entrenched discipline. It's not like it's been around for decades and decades. It's kind of like a newly coined term. And a lot of these groups have been stood up for probably less than 10 years. And then you look to now in the time of COVID, I think it's going to be even tougher to demonstrate if you've had challenges as a director of innovation, for instance, even tougher to demonstrate success because there's that much more pressure on doing something new because there's change everywhere, um, doing something quickly because you know time is of the essence right now, doing something you know within a tight budget because capital is shrinking. So sure. all of these challenges kind of put additional constraints on that type, on that role, let's say, and on that group. And I, and I think that this will be an interesting time to see the ingenuity of those people and those teams, that talent, the different disciplines that they can use, um, that more iterative model to be able to come up with new ideas, test them. And frankly, you know, if you do it early, test and iterate early enough, chuck out the idea if it doesn't seem to work without too much capital investment. Where do you think is going to be most critical areas for innovation leads to focus on in the next um, couple months or next year, uh, as well as see the external environment has been evolving? And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure, especially at a time, and as you mentioned, there's a market uncertainty, but there's still mm-hmm. kind of a, a continuous pressure coming from competitors because everybody's yeah. come up with new strategy and revamping the business model. So I guess from an innovation consultancy perspective, and what advice would you like to provide to someone who's in the process of thinking about the next best action? Yeah, I really firmly believe that it's important at this point, more so than ever, to be as close to your end user, to your consumer, to your patients, to your constituents as possible. If you can figure out ways to design research that can be done quickly, that can be done efficiently, because the, you know, their experience and how that's changed and their perceptions and their challenges and the world around them, how that's changed, that's ultimately what you need to be most mindful of in order to make whatever your business offering product service a success. If it's no longer relevant, you have to understand how because you have to understand how the lives of those end users have changed you know, and pivot your product or service according. So I think you know, we hear the term human-centered design a lot, but I think in your own way, in your own efficient, quick, not necessarily cutting corners, but in your own way to find, you know, a method to understand, really internalize what's happening to those users, to those people as humans, um, so that you can make the adjustments for what you're bringing to them uh, as quickly as possible. Let's talk about kind of how the external environment going to affect on the mentality of individuals. And we went through waves of a capital expansion in the past few years. 
with more than a dozen of incubators being built and funds and investment made uh, for even in-house innovations. Mm -hmm. So now we're at a very different time with a capital contraction and social political uncertainty and also the fear of the new normal. Mm-hmm. So how can companies keep up with innovation where they're constantly worried about costs? And, and I think as you mentioned earlier, there's definitely um, the concerns about, um, you know, are we spending the money in the right way? Yeah. So where does the risk aversion mentality hurt us in the longer run? Yeah. So I think it's a really good question because I think there's an aspect of this risk aversion mentality that you mentioned that is very much finance driven. You know, there are certain processes, regulations in place in order to um, protect us from certain risks uh, as it relates to to how how we kind of allocate funds, but also in terms of innovation, of course, but there's also for me and for a lot of, I think, innovators and an aspect of a philosophy to it. And so I think about you know, how companies have allocated funding for different innovation projects in the past. And I think a lot of times what we've heard from our clients is, you know, that that budget had been allocated at the beginning of the year and you have the rest of the year to use it. But if change comes about in the middle of the year, it's very difficult for the finance engine to pivot in order to reallocate or change or change priorities in the middle of the year. And so what I would love to see is in the future, if that, you know, the past capital expansion periods will change into new ways of thinking about budget allocations so that you're doing, doing things in a more iterative way. Like if your teams, your innovation teams in particular are looking to be more iterative and test and iterate and move things to the side if they don't happen to work, then maybe there is a new way to be risk averse from a financial standpoint for that enterprise for those specific projects. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, maybe from leadership perspective, and I think it's important to also um, have the psychological safety for people who are working. Or innovation, right? It's uh, it is true. Yes, everything has to go through physical plannings, but then when change happens, it should be a different kind of mechanism to kick it off, yeah, um, sure. enable kind of continuity, especially in a lot of R and Ds. Yeah, absolutely. So, would you like to maybe share a bit on the research you are currently working on and, and sure. how we can manage in burnout? Because I think it's probably one of the yeah. most important topic on the, a lot of top of the mind of the HR professionals because we do want people to be well. At the same time, yes. of course, being productive, yeah. um, physical and mental well-being has been um, more important than ever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are we are doing a piece of research right now that I'm very excited about. That will be geared primarily towards CHROs, and so what we've noticed in a lot of enterprises had recently revamped their benefits programs to include mental health and mental well-being, and burnout in and of itself had been discussed prior to COVID, right? But burnout in this context has an entirely different sort of meaning. And so I think among the many, many things that HR professionals are having to grapple with, that constant change in their kind of profession, one of these is also this aspect of burnout. I think you have some people who are burnt out because, like I said, they have little ones at home or partners at home. And the, you know, there's a very active space of the home now being the office. And so you can't go home and leave the office behind because it's the same place. Um, other people who are alone are are feeling, you know, loneliness and and depression, and and that actually also impacts their ability to be productive, but also to be well, you know. And so, what we talked about is this notion of what being well 
our holistic well-being or being well means to different people has actually changed in this in this context of self-isolation. And so from an HR standpoint, how do you understand those different contexts and circumstances in an effort to create programs and supports that's that's meeting people where they are and what they with what they need? Karine, in your report, you mentioned the needs for hygiene and social distancing suggests a movement um, to space and that where cleanliness and emptiness are in the open, which while offering a new kind of intimacy. I find this quite interesting. So what do you think of this new kind of intimacy would be like? If you can share your thoughts on yeah. how, to, like, how to look at that, how to define that. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting question. It's, it's one thing that I think it has different sort of aspects to it. You know, um, the, the thing that we had noticed around this theme of the empty aesthetic was from our standpoint, we had noticed that um, in our research, there was a lot of brands being very kind of outwardly focused and, and communicating what hygiene measures they've put in place, what aspects of their in-store experience that they've changed. And so I think, um, you know, creating bonds in this kind of new aesthetic context where everything needs to look and be perceived as super clean and super hygienic means a lot of different changes to to you know con- the consumer experience in stores to how we kind of experience space a- um, at home and even beyond that and also how, how we kind of create in a way intimacy or bonds in the workplace as well from um from a consumer standpoint it's interesting because you had you know stores before where I don't know about you, but you would go in and there's like a DJ playing in the back and there's a coffee shop and you can sit there and you can chill out for a little while and maybe you can buy a t-shirt on your way out, but you don't necessarily have to. It was more about experiencing the brand and what the brand values are and what it stands for. In the today's context, of course, that sort of hanging about the store doesn't really exist anymore. If anything, we've gone all the way to the other end where you know few people can be in the store at the same time and we all have to follow certain hygienic rules and so how you create experiences where consumers can connect with the brand is sort of eroded. And so the brands need to find new ways to, to create that and then to connect with their consumers in that, in that context. So that'll be an interesting way to, to see how that evolves. I think in terms of the intimacy, it's this luxury of space. And so brands or spaces, places that, have, that are very expansive, that are maybe outdoors, that can allow for more people there at the same time, will be maybe perceived at this as this new kind of of luxury because there's less concern for hygienic issues or spread of disease in that context right and for similarly for people who live in large larger spaces from an employee standpoint this connection and not so much intimacy i guess but it's more about finding connections with your employees i think that's really going to change a lot as well you don't have an office space to go into you can't kind of visit chat with with colleagues and so forth your your boss can't walk about and see how everyone's feeling and doing that day so can you share some tips on how to make like social bonding possible and and in a way of stimulating interactions and uh, communication um, that is kind of important to um, the birth of a new ideas, right? Because we, we, we like the randomness when we uh, bump each other in yeah. coffee rooms and, and just talk about new ideas, but we don't totally. Have that. It's so true. I was actually just chatting with a friend of mine who's an anthropologist yesterday evening, and she was saying, I think what I miss most is that feeling of happenstance, you know, like we can't just go out for a walk or on our way to work, bump into a friend that we haven't seen in a long time. And that sparks some kind of new 
thing, you know, that, that happenstance doesn't really happen anymore. And so she, I thought that was a really interesting kind of observation. I think it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I think how we collaborate in a, in a corporate context, it can adapt. And we, a faculty of change, we've actually just done um, uh, a working session entirely virtually um, a couple of weeks ago with a re- retail client of ours. And it's tough because w- while we might be used to it because we're used to remote work, virtually all of our faculty is, is remote and working from all over the world. Our clients may not necessarily be used to it. They might have a culture of getting into a boardroom you know, and, and chatting it out. And so it's needing to be mindful of that, but also at the end of the day, you have to find new ways to collaborate. And what I've noticed, there's really cool new digital tools that enable that enable discussions that enable whiteboarding online that enable kind of organizing these kinds of activities that we would normally run during a workshop um, but making them more virtually uh, organized uh, which has been great so I think that kind of um, evolution will continue by necessity right absolutely and I think how we take how we can simulate environmentals we are working together while we're physically mm. isolated um, I read about again one of my fam- favorite authors Adam Grant and he actually comments on um, sometimes a good way of uh, simulating the sense of belonging is um, asking everybody to work approximately the same time zone. And then mm-hmm. at least you can see people kind of, you know, on the chat on Slack and popping up. So, oh, someone's actually working there. Yeah. The same. Mm-hmm. I think there's also, th- that actually makes a lot of sense. It would be cool to see a virtual space that you can kind of pop into and see your colleagues working. Um, I think that could be very interesting. I think also tough when you have little ones at home or um, a partner who's, also on conference calls in a small space, all that kind of gets in the way of that. And so if you can find ways to connect with colleagues, even though you have all that stuff happening around you, it'd be really ingenious. Yeah. yeah. And so it's thinking about the digital first employee experience. I think for a long time, the employee experience has been determined by a place you go into. Um, and so it's, it's, it's that shift from going to work to signing into work. Mm-hmm. And then, and as consumers of different brands, groceries and, you know, drugstores and whatever, we're sort of maybe used to having that digital experience in our daily, daily life, depending on how much adoption you, you yourself have, have kind of allowed in your, in your, in your shopping habits and so forth. But from an, from an employee standpoint, your employee experience has never really been digitally enabled, at least not from end to end, right? And then you're thinking about HR professionals have to think about how they recruit, how they hire, how they onboard, how the day-to-day works, how promotions happen, how firing happens, you know, like all of that has to be now a seamless end-to-end digital experience. So how you connect employees to one another, um, create that office culture, create that vibe, that collaboration space, it changes a lot. Um, Tools can come up to be able to do that, but I think Beyond that, a lot of employers will need to think about creating that intimacy or those bonds between employees as like all of that. Also, the collective culture, not just the individual experience of the employee needs to be translated into the online realm. So how do you create experiences for the entire employee constituency as opposed to the individual employee constituency like onboarding, training, etc.? That's relatively easy. It's the it's the collective. It's the ability to bond all those people. That's going to be really interesting, I think, going forward. 
Great. I really like the way you would talk about the digital first. And I think we mentioned that a lot in the past few few years, but this COVID-19 has really disrupted the, the normal norms and we have no choice but to um, accelerate digital in both consumer-facing yes. problems as well as uh, uh, team base. Past couple of months, especially looking at social commerce um, in Asia, in China particularly, that's, that's goes exponentially. Right? People are yeah. looking at astonishing sales number, and that's that's extremely interesting. Yeah. Um, and now people are trying to create this uh, co-shopping space um, through streaming, and they can see each other, and they can chat about, oh, how do you like this? Uh, how do you like this product or not? Right. And that is creating a new intimacy, which is. Uh, beyond physical location. So I find that, that that is really interesting. And I think another part um, is also changing the culture a little bit and, and just share with you. And, and I think mm-hmm. um, I talked to a lot of uh, friends who are still working in Asia. They told me, you know, checking in, especially signing out, uh, you know, going to work physically. Okay. This is really important. Like FaceTime, mm. right? So the value of FaceTime. Um, so now because of the... You know, literal past, FaceTime. Literal FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the past few months, and that's impossible, but I still need to make sure the productivity is up. Yeah. So there's a new wave of uh, adoption of uh, Zooms and, and Skype, just making sure there's a digital capability enabling everybody to still work productively. Mm-hmm. So I think that is, is, is a very interesting thing to happen. Obviously, I'm not saying COVID-19 is a good thing. And, and I think yeah. it happened to us, of course, yeah. at least. Um, and I feel like there's a, a whole bunch of innovation happening in the space. Um, there's a silver lining of what we are moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this conversation I think. thank you so much for inviting me this is really <laughs> this was lots of fun yeah yeah awesome so best of luck uh, with your client work comments views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute as business or investment advice Comments mentioned by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the view of Analytic by Design and its constituents.